guarantee is repugnant in a free and open society. Ladies, gentlemen, welcome back to Black and Blurred. Hi. That's Darren. That's me. I still have to get used to this. The way it sounds? Yeah, because I can, yeah, I, I mean. It sounds like we don't have headphones. Yeah, right. And I'm talking to you. Yeah. You said that exactly last time. Yeah. In edit, when I was editing, it sounds great. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed that last episode. Just our freestyle comeback episode. Uh, we were back from hiatus, vacation, and then also back from needing to get a new board because yeah. our board got fried. Um, I mean, I think good, I think you're supposed to hear how it sounds naturally. It shouldn't be overly, uh, you know, suppressed or compressed. Like, it's supposed to sound like this. I think it's supposed to sound you sure? like we're just talking in our ears. Because this even seems lower than last time. It's not. All right. I'm looking at the decibel level. All right. Okay. Um, well, guys, we told you guys that we had a packed fall, and we're getting it jumping off right now. Um, I shared a little bit about my trip. <clears throat> to Albuquerque, New Mexico, for Cross-Examine Instructors Academy and just around so many um, warriors uh, in the faith and their desire to be warriors in this world, um, committing violence against evil for the sake of those who are deceived by evil um, through apologetics, through their expertise, through the field of ministry that they're in. Um, and a part of that was being able to give a presentation on any given topic and then stand up to scrutiny uh, with the hopes that you would take these um, skills and, and take it wherever, wherever you want in the world. But you need to know that you need to present a cause for why the gospel is true, um, maybe theologically or practically, but then also, also you need, need to, stand to stand up to the inevitable scrutiny that's going to come as a result of that. Um, and I, man, I just heard some phenomenal um, arguments from people. Um, who are on the ground with certain things. We've discussed transgenderism on this podcast. Um, we've discussed it conceptually, uh, theologically. We've discussed it. Um, but when it comes down to, like, the stuff, the people who are studying it, writing the books about it, and um, the science behind yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, that word. I know. I know. What an abused word. Science. Yeah. It, you, it means nothing. <laughs> At this point, I don't, I don't know what it means. Yeah, at this point, you want it to nothing. Mean. Once upon a time, it came from ciencia, mean, meaning to know. Yeah. Now it's just like, you know, a draw four. <laughs> it's like, hey, I, I believe I'm a donkey. Well, look, you're not a donkey, but but the science. Oh, oh. conversation over now. Donkey, you are. Yeah. <laughs> and and then they say whatever you want after that. It's and it's wild. Um, but hopefully. Um, that's the most of what you'll hear me talk about on this episode regarding it, because we've got a faithful sister in the Lord with us, uh, a growing friend that I met while in um, Albuquerque, um, and she's joining us today on Black and Blurred, Dr. Brittany LaBeouf. Yeah. Britt, Hi. what's up? Welcome on Black and Blurred. Thanks. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you are in, you're in PA, right? You said you're in PA. Yes. Where yeah. in PA Central are Central PA. Central. Uh, yeah, near Penn State. Now, I asked you this when we were in New Mexico, but what's the climate there? Um, not 
as in weather-wise, but like politically, spiritually? Yeah, so the town, I, I would say it's it's pretty conservative. Mm. Um, the university, getting closer to the university, obviously is more liberal, but I would say they're culturally conservative, not necessarily Christian conservative. Um, so just something that I observed. I grew up in this town. Me and my husband moved back a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we met while living up in Massachusetts. So we've been here back here for about two years. Oh, and wow. That's fresh. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would say that's what I would, that's how I would describe it. We were just talking about the cultural, I mean, we've talked about it multiple times, the cultural conservatism versus conservatism as a fruit of your faith. Yes. It's like, you know, you could throw marriage in the conservative box, but I value marriage because God made marriage. So. Right. um, Right. And I don't even, I don't even know if I shared this with you, but I, before I had walked away from my faith for a number of years mm -hmm. and uh, most definitely identified as a liberal. I voted left. I was very, very much until I came back to church and becoming conservative was a result of the Holy Spirit changing my heart and my mind towards these issues of, mm. of politics. It was not the other way around for me. Yeah. Um, I was very quickly convicted of a lot of the views that I held. And it was just so clear to me that I couldn't be a faithful Christian while still supporting politics that were oppositional to God's word. So now we talked about, um, was that last episode when I showed you that social media clip with the lesbians shooting guns? That was, that last, was episode. last episode. We got a faithful listener in here with us. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, there was this clip that I saw. <clears throat> Do you, are you familiar with this guy, Dom Lucre, Lucre or whatever? D-O-M-L-U-C-R-E. No. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's a conservative page. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it on Instagram. And um, there was a post he made about these two girls or lesbians in this sexually compromising position while one is shooting like a 50 cal or something like that. And all the conservatives on there were basically like, yeah, you know, hell yeah. Uh, We don't care about that. Love is love. If if people only knew that we actually don't care about that stuff, just stay away from the kids, stay away from the kids, stay away from the kids. Mm. And and I was making this point of like, why stay away from the kids because Mm -hmm. you think it's nasty or you find it inconvenient because if if there's a god who sets the standard by which we say stay away from the kids then he also sets the standards by which we say sex belongs in the confines of marriage between man and a woman right right so and and so just um building on this kind of um moral bankruptcy behind secular conservatism and i think that's showing itself more and more but um so let's share share with our listeners what you do yeah so i have my phd in exercise physiology mm-hmm. i work full-time as a scientist for a fitness company um and i have a passion for apologetics mm-hmm. so i'm Christian scientist, which I think gives me a little bit different perspective than some of a lot of the people that I work with. And certainly the training that I got was not through a Christian lens mm-hmm. academically. 
so uh, now I kind of bridge, try to bridge my skills as a scientist and my passion for apologetics to tackle issues that uh, I struggled with myself and that culture at large is struggling with that I just am interested in being able to speak to. Um, and because of my interest in exercise physiology, one of those areas has been, you know, the transgender ideology and how that is impacting culture, but also uh, just sports and women. I'm a mom of two small kids. And so that this kind of fills all of those uh, interests and gaps for me. So this issue of transgender ideology is something that I've just taken an interest in. And that's what I presented at Cross-Examined Instructor Academy. Mm, yeah. Um, I was, I was impressed by your presentation. Um, exercise physiology. How did you get into that? <laughs> well, I took an exercise physiology class when I was an undergraduate. I wasn't uh -huh. planning on going to school for that. I actually was in, I was studying an undergrad to be a physician assistant. Uh -huh. I thought I was going to go more clinical route. Yeah. And I started doing research in our exercise physiology lab at the college I was at and just became really interested in it, wanted to get more training and research. So I went on to do a master's degree. Um, and then decided that I wanted to be a professional academic. I had goals of being a professor one day and doing research full time. And so I went on from that point to get my PhD. So I was in school for about 10 years and then did a postdoc in, uh, it was exercise physiology, but also sociology, um, huh. looking at physical activity and how that those behaviors uh, translate in middle schoolers and how they the social contagion of physical activity wow. um yeah was this i mean is that amidst the transgender craze thing is that related or that was just the at focal the point no at the time i wasn't even faithfully following the lord actually right. all through my phd like from the time i left for college until just a few years ago, I was, well, I walked away from my faith and slowly, but then eventually was just like completely not interested in anything to do with God. And um, so at the time, no, but now looking back, um, there definitely were certain things that happened in some of like the research that I was doing in the area that I was in um, that inform how I'm able to look at this these this topic in particular but also kind of sift through the propaganda about it and look at it more objectively with a scientific lens if you will uh even though it's a very emotionally charged topic yeah i was just doing a um teaching with middle and high schoolers and we were you know we talked a lot about sex start it was the, kind of the focal point was guard your heart um as they go mm -hmm. back to school how to guard your heart what does that look like and we talked about identity we talked about sex and then we also talked more specifically about race um mm -hmm. just from a theological kind of lens <clears throat> and the beauty of how um god loves unity um but he loves diversity you know you know his the unity is presented in non-sameness for you know and the fact that even man and woman are alike but different you know mm -hmm. and and i love the fact that he has called so many of his people away from different nations 
um, and different kingdoms. And uh, all these nations and these kingdoms have all these different deities ascribed to them. And you have people who look like people who worship those kingdoms, uh, but they don't. They worship the one true and living God and they're from a vast array. And we've been made to be a, a holy nation ourselves. And all that to say, some of those kingdoms are even um, it's ideologies like transgenderism, like sexuality, like homosexuality, sexual licentiousness, drugs, alcohol. <clears throat> and I love how the Lord, um, even politics, I love how the Lord calls people from those kingdoms so they can look like the people who still are in those kingdoms, but they're representatives of the Lord. And they know how to talk. They know, the, they know where the cracks and crevices are, how to maneuver in this kingdom. That's just kind of the picture I got when you were talking about how you went through your entire PhD as someone with eyes that wasn't even seen as one in the kingdom. But now that you are in the kingdom, you still know all the different codes <laughs> and, and where all the cracks and crevices mm-hmm. are in this that you're about to share with us a little bit. So um, I guess the start point, my, my thought start point would be um, – you have a passion for apologetics as a uh, exercise with physicists. Yeah, scientists. Scientists, yeah. exercise. Yeah. Um, how do those merge? How do you find yourself presenting um, apologetics in that type of context? Yeah, well, <laughs> not in any sort of traditional sense. I think it's what a lot of people experience. It's having one-off conversations about something where there's an opportunity to dis like plant a seed of just disagreement or an opportunity to maybe share a little bit more. I work for me, I work remotely. So those conversations don't happen as frequently maybe as if I were seeing people all the time in person, but uh, in the field of exercise science, just think about all of the debates right now that are going on with things like, women's sports and Mm -hmm. those sorts of issues um having transgender athletes compete in women's categories and if that's fair if it makes sense physiologically uh all those sorts of things those are conversations that are not just for professional sports they're seeping into all areas of anything exercise related fitness sports all of that and so it does impact the work that i do and the way that i think about you know interacting with people who maybe are transgender but also my job as a scientist is to be objective as possible and present things without a two, like I'm not trying to be emotional about the decisions. I need to be logical and rational when making decisions about physiology. And so um, this issue in particular, I would say, is a cultural issue that actually impacts that. It's more than just, you know, DEI type of things. It's actually how we are testing for things, how we're making categories for people and allowing who we're allowing them to keep compete against. Um And so those are all very, those aren't things that I take lightly. And uh, I have felt like it's a very touchy topic and a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And you see why, right? In the media, you see people who voice opinions that are oppositional to this just get absolutely dragged. Um, For whatever reason, this one issue is just like. I want to, or even just raised. 
yeah. Even just raise questions. Right. Yeah. You know, right. The questions yeah. you just asked, like, is this is this logical? Does this make sense? Um, mm-hmm. they get- I, w- I want to know more about how that plays out in the scientific world specifically. But before I get into that, when you think you mentioned these, like, you know, obviously you're dealing with physical sciences. There are physiological differences between men and women. Um, but there are physiological differences even amongst men. Like you think about in sports, mm-hmm. something like wrestling, they have weight classes. Like, mm-hmm. he, I mean, when I don't even know how to ask this question, but does the transgender murkiness even begin to affect the way we think about those types of things too? Like, are there smaller guys <laughs> saying, "I, I want to wrestle with the two fifties. I want to." That's not fair. <laughs> like, I mean, well, that's yeah. Well, the it's the ideology in a sense. Yes. I mean, take the ideology to like the end point. If you can say that you identify as anything, where is the limit with that? Is it just gender or sexual attraction or what, or it, can it be anything? Can it truly be anything? And, you know, you've heard people talk about um, trans ableism where they feel like they should be disabled or feel like they should be a different race or these really, what most people would be considered to be bizarre you think that's bizarre, but you don't think it's bizarre that a man wants to identify as a little girl. Like yeah. that, that logically does not make any sense because it's saying the same thing that you can identify as something that you are not and people are to accept it because you say that it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so how, <laughs> scientific method. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the thing. The scientific community is very, um, this is a hot button issue because the field of science that I'm in is, is more, uh, it's not a social science. So the social sciences are what kind of initially started this movement like way back when it was psychologists and, you know, John Money, Alfred Kinsey, these people who were studying Mm -hmm. sexuality um, that was their research was actually on those things. And so people in my world, I would say, aren't really aware of that. I wasn't aware of that because I wasn't, I didn't take gender studies or anything like that. I had no idea about the history of any of those, you know, awful studies that were performed on like little kids and just absolutely awful. Um, work and if anyone is curious like just google john money or alfred kinsey and it will come up some of the research that they did so there's that area of research and you know that's back in the 50s that's all that was a long time ago but now we're seeing a request for research that is representative of transgender individuals now the problem with that is well, there are a lot of problems, but one main problem is that there isn't a lot of research on it because it's such a small percentage of the population. And for mo- all of time until very recently, there wasn't this surge of transgender women, so men who identify as women, playing in women's sports or competing or having you know a lot of physical studies done on them to study their exercise habit. Like it's just something that doesn't exist right now. There's not a strong body of evidence. And what happens when there's not a strong body of evidence is people kind of just take whatever 
they want to use as evidence in, until we get more science mm. to say something should or shouldn't happen. And that's why it's become such a hyper emotional argument rather than a rational and logical one, because yeah. there is not a huge right. body of literature to point to to say, look, these studies show that transgender women are the same as women and there's no difference in their hormones. There's no difference in their performance outcomes. Um, there's just we don't have that right yeah. now. And I worry, actually, that even if we do have that, that because of the way scientific articles are being kind of flagged down on this issue mm -hmm. that we may not have sound science. So <laughs> there have wow. been scientists who have tried to publish some of these pieces, not even necessarily physiology pieces, but just talking about detransitioners. So people who have transitioned to the opposite gender and transitioned back um, and it, any issues around that, that weren't really favorable to the narrative that's being played out. They right. were, I mean, drug through the mud and, canceled so to speak and people with very good reputations yeah. they have you know several years of service never had any sort of dishonest science or anything like that but because they talked about this issue in a way that wasn't inclusive enough their entire scientific reputation now is being questioned and that's pretty much what happens to people who decide to speak out on this and their findings you know aren't in line with the narrative that's at play. Why do you think Christians don't, I think, I think Christians are aware that that type of stuff happens. They might not be aware of the ins and outs behind it, but Christians are definitely aware that there are other Christians who um, will have a thought and that thought gets shut down. Let's use that general phrase. Um, they, it, it either gets shut down by them losing their job or losing an account or, you know, being threatened or whatever but it gets mm -hmm. shut down. How come mm -hmm. Christians don't see that as kind of uh, trying to perpetuate these narratives by force? Mm. Like if transgenderism, for example, is true, why do you have to use force of removing people from right. positions? And thing, why, why doesn't it just speak for itself? Why do you think Christians don't? I, I guess, how do we get to this place? We're arguing about yeah. men and women, y'all. How did we get here? I think it was it was slow and there were enough people who didn't speak up or didn't think that it was going to end up to mm. where it is. Mm. And the people who did say that, everyone was like, that's crazy. That's never going to happen. Um, you know, in particular with same-sex marriage and the LGBT community, yeah. no one, I mean, there was always the T, but at the time, I feel like it was out of people's immediate reality. Like they maybe didn't know anyone right. who was transgender. The, the gender pronoun thing wasn't really in the forefront of their life. So they could kind of just ignorance is bliss. Now, is, that the, is that synonymous with transsexual, transgender? I believe they're used synonymously now, but there's a lot of like technical terminology that people choose to use and choose not to use. True. I know that that's why I have no idea. His, like people who were what who were transgender maybe 20 years ago, mm -hmm. they used the term transsexual because they knew that they could change their they would say that they could change their sex but not their gender. 
I mean, obviously, as Christians, we believe them to be one and the same. Yeah. They're synonymous. They could be used interchangeably. There's no distinction between sex and gender, but that's mm. one of the arguments around gender ideology in and of itself, that it's a social construct, that there's no way you can determine someone's gender without them telling you, um, and that it can be whatever they want. That's the whole premise. So that's why they are to be separated. And that's been something that's been in the vocabulary and research for many, many years. It just didn't really come to, I would say, culture until much later, unless you were within those circles. So this is not a new concept necessarily, but it's so mainstream now that a lot of people are hearing about it for the first time. I mean, this is just something, just always the questions, because you you mentioned how uh, very subtly this bait and switch happens like abracadabra now in this conversation where we're only concerned about facts and logic and science. Wow. Let's yeah. only care yeah. about feelings now. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when, you know, we did a seminar and in that seminar we were talking about um, homosexuality and all I wanted to do was show people how their feelings have been specifically manufactured to be a certain way that, there's actually this homosexual manifesto that went down. There are these Harvard professors that came up with a scheme about how to actually normalize homosexuality um, in America in uh, these different processes by which we uh, would then normalize it and um, uh, desensitization, jamming, and conversion. Um, and all these things that were right before our eyes. Uh, reality TV shows, and every reality TV show has to have one gay person to be desensitized to it. You gotta, right. you gotta jam what a Christian is mm-hmm. with kind of conflating them with this Nazi by giving them movies where they see Christians are the ones who are the hateful ones and yelling f bombs towards gay people and stuff like that. And then you gotta mm-hmm. start converting. Uh, and like this has been a long journey, and I just wanted to share the facts of it. I wasn't gonna dive deep and be like, "See y'all, they've been tricking y'all all along, man. Wake up, man." I wasn't doing that. <laughs> Because I'm in Silver Spring. I know, I know where I am. All I wanted to do was say, hey, there are real people who wrote real, real papers, and they had a real process to make you think the way you think right now. And even me presenting that left people, you know, kind of the people I was on the team with, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I'm like, what do you mean I don't know? I'm, I'm just reading. This is already, I didn't even write this. I'm just okay. reading it. And I remember in New Mexico, you were sharing about, what it means to try and do science now, especially in this, in the context of this transgender stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that look like? Can, how can you? Can you do science, or do you just get down or lay down? So, it's interesting because it it kind of depends on where you're at, like ac- like what academic institution that you're at. I'm not at an academic institution, I'm not publishing, actively publishing any research right now, but I did read a paper today that was so confusing because instead of just saying male or female, it was like cisgender this yeah. and cisgender. Uh, it was just, words made up. I had, yeah, I had to read it like six times because it was so <laughs> confusing and it was just published last year. So I know that was probably a requirement for publishing was looking at that, but the purpose of the test was to look at a, um, it was like a physical activity battery for females. And so I just, it, 
all that to say, it makes it very confusing. So a lot of what will happen is people are enrolled in a study based on biological sex and they will have to self-identify and they would then also have to identify their gender. And then if it's different or does not match their biological sex, they would that would probably be stratified or those those individuals would be would be excluded from the analysis if it's a, you know, you're looking at something that's gender based. So for physical activity research, a lot of times it is gender based because there are a lot of physiological differences between men and women. And there are also a lot of social differences between men and women when it comes to physical activity, the types of activity that they do, what their interests are, what they've been socialized to participate in, all of those things matter. Um, and it becomes very confusing when you don't know. So I had that, right. I had that experience during my PhD. I had a student who was in um, second or third grade and to me, she just looked like a little girl, but I had got an email from her parent saying, or his parent, it was a boy who was identifying as a girl. And so I didn't know that because as a kid, you know, kids can easily kind of look like the other gender with some outfits and right. a haircut. Like it doesn't really, this is not quite the same. And so it, I didn't think twice about it. And then after I found that out, I had to then I just excluded them from the study because it was too, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. This is too yeah. complicated. So I ended up not including them, but um, we're going to see that more and more. And we don't have, the problem is with, you know, with, with any kind of study or with data is you need a certain amount of data for it to be able to use the findings and have meaningful interpretation of them. So if you only have a couple people out of thousands who identify in this really specific way, the conclusions that you're able to draw from that are going to be limited because it's a really small sample size. And so until we have more better high quality data, there are going to be more questions than answers. And that's going to be for decades just because we've never seen the amount of kids transitioning, socially transitioning or transitioning using things like puberty blockers as we have right now. And so to see the effects of that is going to take a long time. We're already seeing some of that, yeah, but, bit. but just imagine how much more is going to be coming to light in uh, five, yeah. 10, 20 years. You know what I mean? I breaks my heart, honestly, but I don't think the evidence is going to be in favor of the current narrative. No. And I, I just and, don't know yeah. if it's going to be, but be put out there. That's my concern. And one of the, like, yeah, one of the biggest issues in, in science right now is uh, not listening to the dissenting opinion. Like, that's important. Mm -hmm. It's like this majority mm -hmm. rules. That's not science. You can't yeah. ignore mm -hmm. the 3% of scientists that say, ah, let's look at this again. Like, you can't ignore them because yeah. there's only 3% of them. And 97% mm -hmm. of the corrupt <laughs> scientists yeah. go, I mean, that, well, that's not and how that until works. very recently, that's a, that's a, Disagreement in science is right. expected and common and healthy. Yeah, that's what peer review is. Right, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yes. But now you're seeing that when things are getting peer reviewed, if you don't change it to right. fit a specific narrative, right. your paper won't get published. And yeah. so that happened to a guy. Um, oh, what was his name? Hold on, I have it right here. His name was Michael Bailey. He's at Northeastern, I believe. Okay. He um, was one of the professors who published some work around this area of transgender ideology. And um, 
he just said like his thing is i think he had to retract his paper or they took it down or something wow. and he basically wrote a piece saying like he's just gonna publish it in other forms like scientists scientists are just gonna not publish peer-reviewed research mm -hmm. however in a culture that's like only only peer review or bust like so if we can't get peer-reviewed articles that say this there are gonna there is gonna be a portion of the population who is like well, we don't have any peer-reviewed articles to say that, so it must not be true. And it's like, well, we don't have any peer-reviewed articles because they won't publish the ones that have findings that are inconsistent. So it's very murky. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, that was not before not you good. brought him up. I was about to ask: Is there any interpret? I mean, is there any? Um, uh, oh man, gosh, my brain—it's not working the way it used to. Years ago. Um, is Oh, is there any just pure observing, observation, and in conclusions being drawn from observation in this form of science at all? Because it seems like Michael Bailey was doing that, and he's not allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are there there have been studies on transgenderism, and it's been called, you know, gender, and gender dysphoria and mm -hmm. things like that. There are a lot of... Um, good books I could recommend too that kind of outline the findings that have been uh, laid out. Yeah. But there are a couple people that have been kind of key figures. So Abigail Schreier's book, um, Irreversible, Irreversible yeah. Damage. So a lot of her, a lot of her book references the research of Lisa Littman and who was a researcher who she was at Brown university, kind of same thing. She kind of stumbled across these findings that were, inconsistent with what she would have expected or hypothesized when she was doing her research. And so she did some more follow-up studies to look at this spread of transgenderism specific specifically among adolescent girls. Hmm. And what she found was that there was this aspect to it that was what we call a social contagion, that it was in heavily influenced by social and peer groups at alarming rates that these girl, girls specifically were identifying as transgender, whereas in the past, it, transgender, transgenderism has primarily been seen in men who identify as women. Mm. But we were seeing this surgence of That's wild. girls who are identifying as boys. Okay. And so- I'm sorry, don't lose your train of thought because you are you yeah. sound like you were getting your groove there, but I'm, <laughs> I just need, I don't even- That's wild. Now, <laughs> There's something there, right? Because we, I yeah. think we talked about, we mentioned something like that. We did. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong, but were there also studies, as a matter of fact, I think I might even have it up. I forget what it's called, but this this link in, in, you know, in the past years of it being mostly men who identify as women, wasn't that attached to some form of sexual arousal or attached to a paraphilic identity? Yeah. Some sometimes sometimes so for okay. for some people yeah they're aroused or turned on by dressing up as a woman or identifying as a woman that makes them excited and I, that is called something I'm drawing a blank on what it's I called know. right now. Um, I have a whole list of you had a whole list of them up yeah. right now. You keep going. Oh, I yeah thank you, don't autogynophilia. Yeah, autogynophilia. Yes. The sexual so, arousal of a man by his own perception of himself as a woman or dressed as a woman. Mm -hmm. And this also has roots back to 
some of this. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who suffers with gender mm. dysphoria is this way, but um, pornography is a huge part of this as well. Ooh. So that is often tied, often tied to some of these fantasies or sexualized fantasies of specifically men identifying as little girls and um, that sort of dynamic, which is really awful and disgusting to think about, but it is that is part of it as well. You know, this is it. It is this type of thing. What we talk about on this podcast is one big frustration of ours is that we just don't have eyes to see the world's need for a savior. Mm-hmm. And so, while these things can exist, while porn, pornography, what is it called? What's the thing? The most popular porn site. Oh, porn. Pornhub. Porn yeah, Pornhub. Oh, oh, oh. Um, where uh, I just read today that there's plenty of access to child rape via Pornhub. Yep. Mm. Yep. Um, These things are happening on a daily basis and the links to these very degenerate things are in our everyday life. Um, So a a link to child rape on Pornhub could be uh, just uh, sexual promiscuity of any sort on through a TV screen and and that link can be linked to a Hardee's commercial where a girl is half naked eating a burger. You know, you had me at burger. You don't need her. But but those links exist in our everyday life. Meanwhile, as Christians, we're so worried about being nice. Oh, man, right. it's killing me. That's <laughs> killing me. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I, I trust. I'm, I'm, I want to trust that the Holy Spirit will yoke me up if I ever find it in myself to want to yoke another human up. And I mm-hmm. also trust that I have brothers and sisters around me who would yoke me up if I start coming off as somebody who doesn't love the person I'm talking to. But mm-hmm. until all of that stuff happens, let me spin, man. <laughs> Just <laughs> You know, they need to get these facts out here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The world needs the truth. The world needs what you're talking about and trying to like people trying to slow you down or any other believer down for trying to get this information out really irks me. It irks me. Yeah. And honestly, for a lot of people, they just don't know yeah. a lot of this. Yeah. Like they do just need to hear it. And sometimes it does come better in a form of like listening to a podcast like this where they don't have to engage in the conversation directly True. because That's a great point. it is so heated um, that they can just kind of listen and take it in and think without having to immediately have a response. So mm. it, we just need to keep talking about it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I remember you talking about um, just you, you had a lot of different insights on the things that are happening in sports and women's sports. Um, <laughs> what, what are some insights yeah. that people if you if you could give people some information on things they need to be aware of that's attached to this transgender ideology and its pervasiveness in society today regarding sports? Um, what would you say? What are some things you'd bring up? I would say one, I think the one of the ways that this is trying to be pushed through is by doing it with kids because during childhood and adolescence, there are less gender differences. And they kind of, I mean, obviously sex is determined at conception, but biologically little kids are pretty similar until they reach puberty. And so what's happening is they're trying to get rid of any sort of delineation between boys and girls, which happens to some extent already, like Mm -hmm. soccer teams when kids are like toddlers or whatever. 
But what you're seeing now is once they start getting older in these sports circles that there needs to be no sort of separation between boys and girls in not only where the sport is taking place, which can be dangerous because, I mean, you were both 15-year-old boys at one point. Like, testosterone's roaring. You're going through so many pubertal changes. Girls are set. Like, there's different puberty happening for boys and girls. And we're basically just denying that or acting like it doesn't matter. And that's not true either. Um, It's a safety issue. It's also a time when... People are already uncomfortable with their bodies. So the social contagion that's happening with girls, a lot of it is, it it lines up with puberty because you're developing in a way that you're not totally comfortable with your body and you're questioning that whether you fit in or not, you're transitioning into this new stage of life. And now instead of it being an awkward phase, they're told, well, maybe it's your gender that needs changed. Like maybe that's Maybe you're actually non-binary or maybe you're actually a boy. Mm. And aside from the bodily changes, are there any other factors that go into the fact that girls, little girls seem to be more susceptible to this? Social media is a big one, um, a big factor with this. In fact, the social contagion and the work of Lisa Littman and Abigail Shire's book talks a lot about how social media has has an impact on this. you think about social media apps and just the access that kids have to these ideas that maybe they never were even exposed to before, that now they're taking in at a rate that's just like insane. insane. And so things that they never questioned before are coming right to their face. And they're like, oh, well, I never really thought about this, but you know, maybe that's true. And you're, you have these TikTok stars who are showing their double mastectomy scars and saying like, see, like, I'm so happy. Like this, that got rid of my anxiety and depression or this, you know, whatever. Um, and it, it, for a child who's maybe really struggling, that can seem appealing because their place in, I mean, I'm speaking about, you know, children who suffer with transgender ideology and stuff as maybe not Christians, but even people who like kids who are Christians can struggle with this because it's essentially like you were talking about earlier is placing your identity in this other thing instead of having a solid you know, foundation, your identity in Christ yeah. and being grounded in that. It's finding it in these other things, looking for comfort in these other places. And it seems really good. It seems like maybe it'll fulfill, fulfill you for, you know, instead of this other stuff that you're dealing with. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I do think a lot of, well, I not even think some, a lot of the research is showing that even after people go through the steps to start transitioning, that the outcomes aren't necessarily better. Mm-hmm. It's not like their depression and anxiety just goes away. It's not like their risk of suicide just goes away. It often doesn't or gets worse. And that's really sad. And no one really wants to face that reality. We just want to focus on the people who are happy. Yeah. Um, I, mean, but this act, I mean, this has to endanger even jobs like yours, right? At some point, they're not going to be interested in any findings you have, right? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, thank I'm, you for letting me, thank you for reminding me. I'm just saying. I mean, yeah. well, look, you know, yeah. I, I, I preach. So, you know, they'll probably get to me before you. 
But um, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, it's um, like at, at some yeah, point, you back, will have to be playing that. doctor. Go ahead. You were just saying, uh, what's the last thing you said? I preach. Yeah. So the company first. Yeah. And so that's another issue, especially with young children in their developmental stages. I mean, you put an instrument in front of a child's hands and you can become very proficient. Mm-hmm. So anything else you thrust upon them, like you're talking about adults get tripped up on this. Yeah. Social mm-hmm. media addictions, TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, you got, mm-hmm. I think it's a combination of um, irresponsible parenting. You know what I mean? Uh, putting a, a computer in front of your kids' hands and letting them do whatever they want with it on TikTok, on Facebook, Instagram, along with the climate of Christians are bad and right. homosexuality and LGBTQ yeah. is on the right yeah. side of history. Right. 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 And That's also right. everything Acceptance. is actually falling under the umbrella of LGBT. Yeah, everything. I mean, so at everything. first it was the skin color, right? I remember that was a, a, a thing in, in America where yeah. even black Americans were like, hey, man, you you co-opting the struggle, blah, blah, blah. But now, you know, it's all kumbaya. Everybody, you know, uh, everybody, we all vote the same way. So, uh, you know, we're all good and the same. But now you have disabled people who are part of LG. I know. And then you have allies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're a yeah. part of it. And so, but yeah. but the transgenderism is, you know, kind of subtly combating all of the other letters. Is it, does it not? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's oppositional to something that is binary, like yeah. right, yeah, homosexuality used to be called being, yeah, like bisexuality. Like it's basically it's trying to say that there you can be any gender, and that also that there are no genders. Like in the same thing, it's very conflicting, which is what you'll notice with a lot of the arguments for this stuff is that there's they don't use logic or evidence. A lot of their statements conflict with one another, and whenever you question that. It's, well, you're just a bigot. <laughs> you're just transphobic. Instead of actually thinking through why this logically doesn't make any sense. Um, that's one of the biggest struggles with actually getting anywhere with a, in a conversation about this is because if you present an alternative or even just like you were saying earlier, asking questions that are valid, um, they aren't welcome. And we've, we're seeing this play out in several different areas in our culture, not just the transgender ideology, but it's essentially, and for me as a scientist, like it's been very much like you have to think this way if you are a scientist. It was the same with COVID. And I fell for it with the COVID stuff at the beginning, even though I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a very logical, rational person. Like I don't want to be outcast from my profession by going against any of this stuff mm-hmm. um and i've changed my mind yeah. about that since all this first came out but that's what it is like this attack on identity and when right. people don't have god they put their identity in all sorts of things and mm-hmm. that's all this is really at the end of the day is they see it as an attack on them because they believe that their gender dysphoria or their sexuality is who they are. Mm. It's not something they do. It's something that is part of them. Right. And it's it's difficult because we know why they feel that way. Right. And I think just speaking life into people like that and even people who agree with it because they – if you're a believer and you know – what it means, what the gospel is and how powerful that is to transform someone's life. 
then you you know deep down this is not right. Right. You have a responsibility so, to share that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. People need it. And people are going to be coming to the church when they are right, battered right. and broken right, after right, all this right. and it leaves them empty. Right. Um, and we need to be ready to to welcome them and to share the, the truth with them, but to be ready to help them. What would you say has been the most effective um, aspect of this argument? Like if there are people listening to this episode and they're like, man, I, I really want to move towards this transgender person or share this thing with somebody who's very gung-ho in transgender ideology with their kids. What aspect of this argument do you think is the most effective for them to focus on um, and present to their neighbor? I think, I think it, I think it, it's a different, it depends differently on if it is someone who is struggling with that, with it themselves versus someone who is just supporting it. Makes I think for someone who wants to support it or is like all gung ho with the ideology that honestly just presenting the facts. So asking questions like, are you familiar with where transgender ide ideology came from mm. or the studies that originally, um, you know, tested looking at sexuality and things like that. And just ask, most people will say no. Most people have no idea. They don't know that they were, you know, trying to give babies orgasms. Yeah, bro. Alfred Kinsey, right? It's, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting. Most people don't know that. There's and when still they hear a statue it, like, of him at Indiana. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The father of the sexual revolution, which so feminists are really into that so they they want to tear down gender roles mm. while simultaneously saying fighting for feminine it just makes yeah, no yeah, sense yeah. they're so destroying I, themselves yeah 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 so i would just ask questions like that okay. and ask like are you familiar with you know any of the research that's been done on gender dysphoria like did you know that if you just don't transition socially or physically transition a lot of kids will just grow out of their feelings of gender dysphoria yeah oh. did you know that social transition is not harmless because many many adolescents especially report being so scared to detransition because of fear of what their friends and family would say Man. and all of that Brittany sounds good but there are parents who don't want their children to grow up normally. Oh, yeah. Like they have their yeah. own oh, yeah. issues and they're projecting yeah. them on their children. So you ask them those questions. Hey, do you know that it's not harmless? They, will, they don't mm -hmm. care. They want mm -hmm. their child to struggle with them. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's sick. You know, what's you know, what's interesting, though, is I I don't know how you guys feel. I feel like a lot of times it's the mom. Yeah. That's. My question Driving is always, it? where is the father? Yeah. yeah. Like, where are I you? I think about that a lot. That's it. Yeah. By holding the camera? Yeah, right. Yeah, like, real talk. What are you yeah. doing? Right. Real, real talk. Right. Well, I mean, we've seen that, right? We've seen where the father is or what happens to the father when he's present. What is that in Canada? Right? Yeah, they have a law where... Well, no, I don't know about the law, but I'm just saying uh -oh. there's a father specifically going through oh, this yeah, battle. It's a divorced yeah. family, mm -hmm. and the mother yeah. wants to transition a son, and the father... Doesn't. Is fighting Isn't that, and he, you know, yeah. and he was getting cut out of the picture. You know, it's obviously going mm -hmm. in the mom's favor. Um, yeah. But man, man, 
But I think yeah, that there were some victories coming for him too. But I hope so. Me too. But we're going to keep seeing that. So I think, you know, we all need to be having these conversations, yeah. men and women. And gosh, it's just, it breaks my heart. Yeah. But the more that people shy away from this topic and get too scared to say anything or talk about it. And for some people, like, they may feel like there's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. One, you can always pray. Amen. Also, when it comes to things like this stuff being taught in school, you can stand up and say, no, yeah. my ch- no, and fight back against, push back against it. It doesn't have to be some big thing that goes social media viral. Right, a lot of these right. stuff, this stuff happens in conversations behind closed doors. I think people see things like that online and think that if they don't do that, they're not doing anything. And that's, that's also not true. Um, we, all of us have a part to play. All of us have something that we need to be doing to fight this because if we don't, it's going, it's, it's going to get so much worse. And it's, it's our job as Christians, especially to stand on God's truth and (laughs) stand firm in this absolute chaos because we there there's such an attack on truth right now to say no like we know what the truth is this is a very from like an apologetic standpoint from a biblical theology standpoint it's a very simple argument yeah Yeah. it's it's not like do you know what i mean it's not god created the male and female like it's there's nothing that's that's it that you don't really need much more than that and so i think coming at it from a perspective of not necessarily a biblical defense because i think that's pretty clear it's more this logic and ask asking questions and do they know the, that because people are obsessed with science if, mm-hmm. if you can talk about science they're like well is there science on that and i'm like right actually right. you know what you does have frank to be a say we were with that. him we were with him in new mexico he always says science never uttered a word scientists do right, <laughs> right. scientists are the ones saying things. Science has never spoken. Right. Um, and that's important. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. a couple of resources. If you wanted to reiterate some resources for folks. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a reader, so I'm a, I'll recommend books first. Frank Turk's book, actually, Correct Not Politically Correct, the new edition of that has transgenderism in it as well. Um, Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, uh, she talks about the work of Lisa Littman that I referenced a, a few times um, and just tells some stories of families who are going through this. And then uh, Miriam, Miriam Grossman's book called Lost in Transnation. She was featured on Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? She was the child psychologist oh, okay. um, yeah. who has been very vocal about speaking out against this. She wrote a book as well. Okay. Um, and all three of those are excellent resources. Uh, if you want to just read more about this, uh, get some, there's, I mean, it's, it's not a scientific read and it will, but it will give you the science of it hmm. and have you very easily get some like statistics, talking points, stuff like that. Hmm. Um, highly recommend that. And then, gosh, I think there's, uh, I think there's been a couple of podcast episodes that Frank has done on this on his YouTube on the cross-examined YouTube. If you just search that, there's probably some good episodes talking to some different people about this topic as well. Okay. 
And where can people find you? You can find me at Brittany.LaBeouf on Instagram. I also have a podcast of my own called Heaven and Health. Um, huh. Yeah. Okay. Heaven and Health and Brittany. It was a doctor or Brittany.LaBeouf? Brittany dot LaBeouf. Brittany dot on Instagram. Guys, also lift up a prayer for her in her job, um, which as a Christian, the nature of your job is to do exactly the opposite of what's expected of you. That's tough. Um, so we yeah. lift up prayers for you and strength. Um, I appreciate it. And I'll just reiterate one last thing you mentioned about people thinking they are what they do. Uh, our identity is based on what we do. And uh, the, the gospel essentially says this. We do what we are. We do sin because we are sinners and therefore we deserve God's wrath, his justice. That's why we want justice, because he's just. But then it's because of what Christ did that transforms who we are. We become children of God through what Christ has done to the point now when you listen to this podcast, when it comes to your parenting, when it comes to the way you view yourself, your sexuality, any of those things, if you trust Christ then you can still go to the Father with confidence because the things you do aren't in line with your identity. Your identity is a child, and that doesn't change. And you can trust the Lord to continue to shed the dead parts of you off that you're doing within line up with who you are. And if you don't trust Christ, you can trust him. He's offered himself for you. Trust him, and your identity will transform immediately. And in your life, will continue to catch up to that identity that never changes in Christ. So, Brittany, thank you for joining us here on Black and Blurred. You've kicked off our busy fall. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks for having me. God bless in the rest of your job and, and everything else and, and also being a faithful sister, wife, and mom. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in this episode of Black and Blurred where you're guaranteed to hear one of two things, our humble opinion. Or the facts. Holler at us.